Hi, and thank you for tuning into the Campus Rush Podcast. We know that this episode today is going to bless your life and take your vision to the next level. We hope that you can share it, subscribe, and be a part of what God is doing right here at Carleton University, around the world, at Campus Rush. I want to I want us to just go to Genesis chapter 1 today verse 25 and 26. Um, I want to end out our series Home Lover Friend tonight. Um, the next month we have coming up is our month of oil and um, I want to be able to begin to speak on that theme um, from next week. I really 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 would love um, us to delve into that topic and have a great time. But we're going to be in Genesis 1 25 and 28. And we are going to see what the Lord has for us. As you're turning your Bibles to that or um, on your phone, you're turning to that. How many of you guys enjoyed our Sunday session searching? Did you enjoy that? That was so powerful. I think part two is loading. Uh, for those of you who weren't there, it was an amazing time um, where, uh, you know, our father, Dr. Ralph, came and he really began to pour and share revelation on relationships. A lot of stuff that, honestly, I didn't even know. My eyes were open and enlightened and I was blessed by that and enriched by that. Um, and so definitely by God's grace, we're going to be doing more of that. Were you blessed? Once more, were you blessed by that? That was super awesome. So let's go on to the screen. Uh, we're going to go to Genesis 1.25. I'll be in the KJV um, the old King James uh, today, and then we will uh, slide over to the uh, NIV at some point uh, today. Can we read this? I'd love if um, the guys uh, could read the odd verses and the women will read the even verses. So guys, let's start uh, with this 25. You ready? One, two, three, and go. And God made the beasts of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Ladies, 26, and go. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish. So right before we go to verse 27, I just want you to underline that if you have your Bibles, we're going to do some extensive Bible uh, teaching today. Um, if you have your Bibles or you have something, you have your phone, just highlight, and God said. I want us to look at that and God said okay just highlight that someone shout and God said. God said great just highlight that let's go to verse 27 fellas one two three and go so God oh no fellas come on the ladies are shining us right now come on let's go one two three and go male and female created he them all right and ladies verse 28 the last verse actually let's all read this one together one two three and go number one be fruitful the another one is what and the third one and the fourth one okay and the fifth one uh-huh Come on, let's clap for the reading of God's word. You see, many people don't talk about Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. They rather talk about Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, the scripture begins to talk about, then God began to form man out of the dust and he breathed into him. Pastor Robert, many people talk about the formation of a man, but they don't actually talk about the original intent or the idea by which man was first created. Uh, when you begin to look at this scripture, what you see, and that's why I wanted you to underline verse 26. If we can go back to that, or oh, you can bring me down a little bit. 
please. Thank you so much. Uh, and if you go to verse 26, you'll see, and God said. Shout that after me. Say, and God said. I wanted you to underline that because it's so important to know that before you were created, you were a word. Before you were formed, you were a thought that became an idea that became a word. That, that's why the Bible would say in Jeremiah that before I formed you, I knew you. So how can God form something he doesn't know? He first has to know what you are, who you are, before he forms you. So that's why in the scripture it says, I'm going to give these people purpose. Their purpose is twofold, rule and dominate. Have dominion and rule. So if you're struggling with your purpose, it, it falls in line with ruling and dominating. It falls in line of doing it. So that means that if you're not dominating the sphere, occupying the street, you're not fulfilling your purpose. What does that mean? That means in whatever God has called you to, whether it be school, whether it be work, whether it be business. How many business owners do I have here? Our future entrepreneurs. Oh, come on, make some noise, my future entrepreneurs, people who are in business. Great. What does this scripture mean? It means that when you were created, before you were created, when you were a thought and a word, the word that God had in the womb of the spirit for you and for mankind was rule, dominate, possess, subdue. That means that in whatever you're meant to do, you're meant to rule, you're meant to dominate, you're meant to possess, you're meant to subdue, you're meant to have dominion in all things. Someone shout, I have dominion. Now, I love that the scripture in verse 28 says, Be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. That means that God has brought you on this earth before you were created. The thought that he had in his original intent was for you to dominate. Dominate. If you're in school, dominate. If you're in sports, dominate. I used to have this guy that played on my team, my football team. I played football when I was growing up and had a guy on my team. And the guy was so good. But one thing that was so good about him, one of his secrets, was that this man had a mentality that was, I'm better than everybody else on the field. Like, I don't know if you play sports, you'll meet people like that. And people, some people have that type of mentality that there's not one person on the field that's better than me. They already have the mentality that is, I dominate wherever I am. If I'm in a tough corner, I dominate. Wherever I am, I dominate. I prophesy over you. May you dominate in every sphere that God brings you to. Your amen is a little weak. Come on, we're going to try this. I said, may you dominate wherever you go. I mean, you will dominate at school. You will dominate in the workplace. You will dominate wherever you go. Don't let me preach in here. Can I shout this out from the mountaintops? Dominate wherever you go. If you're a business owner, dominate. Don't be satisfied with what you have. Dominate. Total dominion means that you are not behaving like Saul. You are not going to the place and leaving some things and taking some things. No, but you go in and you demolish everything that is there. You have to go in one shot precision and dominate and rule. Someone shout amen. Now, this is interesting to note because if you look in the scripture, you'll begin to see that the scripture also talks about how the word of the Lord shall not ever return to him void. Do you know that scripture? The Bible says the word of the Lord shall not return to him void. Actually, never. So the Bible would say, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish. My God, someone shall accomplish. It, shall, it says, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in things whereto I sent it. Wherever I send it, it shall accomplish its task. 
That means that the original intent, which was for you to multiply, for you to rule, for you to subdue, for you to have dominion, the Bible says that because God thought about it and he spoke it, because the Bible says in verse 26, then God spoke, he said, he had a conversation, he, he, he said these things before he formed them. So that means that because it exited out of the mouthpiece of God, it means it cannot return to him void. That means that you have, a, you have an obligation, that your obligation is to rule, your obligation is to have dominion, your obligation is to manifest. Am I talking to you? Your obligation is to manifest. What do you mean by manifest? Manifest means that everybody in this world, Tosh, was born with a seed of greatness. Everybody. Now, you begin to see very early on in life that some people blossom and manifest in their seed of greatness at the age of five. That's what we call them geniuses. For others, they blossom at the age of 13. They're still geniuses. Others blossom at the age of 18. Others 20. Others 40. Everybody has its appointed time to blossom. But the thing is, you must blossom. Listen, I don't care how long your vision has been in you. I don't care how long the seed of greatness has been in you. There's one thing that's for certain is that you must manifest. You must. If the Bible says, then God said, you see, there's nothing that exits the mouth of God that returns to him void. It can't return to him empty. You have to rule and dominate. You have to. Are you with me? Come on, give God a good shout and praise. You see, in 1 Samuel uh, 17, if we're going back to that, you'll begin to see that this is the scripture we spoke about last week where David is there and David, um, you know, I spoke about the worshiper and the warrior. Anybody remember that last week? And you'll begin to see that David is in the fields and as he's in the fields, he's playing his harp. He's, he's, you know, he's ministering onto the heart of the Lord. He's doing different things, uh, but yet still he has a seed of greatness. He has something on the inside of him. He, he, has, he has the seed that everybody has, and that's the seed to rule and the seed to dominate. Come on, the seed to and the seed to. Now, the only thing about dominion is that once you dominate over one thing, Unless you have another challenge, you get bored and you get lazy in what you have dominion over. All right. So David was in the fields doing his thing, yet still there was something innate on the inside of him desiring to dominate more, desiring to rule more, desiring to do other things. There was such a hunger on the inside of him that even though he may not have expressed it, it was being expressed to different things as his boldness, as his question, his inquisitive behavior, his inquisitive nature. So the Bible would then say in that same chapter that he goes down, and you know the story, I spoke about it last week, and he asks his brothers, he asks people around him, what's the price for the one? who will have dominion over this Goliath what's the price for the one who would take down this Goliath and everybody says three things and we spoke about it last week but I'll recap for you number one is that he their whole family gets exempted from taxes number two is that he gets a wife and number three is that he becomes very very wealthy now, after all of this, I don't want you to forget what I spoke to you about ruling and dominion. Neither do I want you to forget about the fact that the original intent of everybody here is, is, to, is to multiply, is to, is to rule, is to dominate. Now, we meet a peculiar being in, in 1, Samuel, uh, 1, Samuel 18 verses, uh, 1 Samuel 18 verse 1. And we're going to read that in a second. But we meet a peculiar being right after David um, slays Goliath. We, we meet this man of God in the scripture. And there's something that's different about this man of God. 
this man of God has something that's different because uh, he still has the seed of ruling. He still has the seed of dominion. But yet there's something that's different about him. I want us to read this together. All right, let's read it on the count of three. One, two, three, and go. And go on. And this is the last verse. Next one. Sorry, it's the last one. Verse five. Yeah. I want us to read uh, verse three one more time, but I want us to read it with some vigor, okay? Let's read it with everything we got. Let's go. One, two, three, and go. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because who loved him as his own soul? Who? Who loved him? Who loved him? We're all Bible scholars. Who loved him? Jonathan. It says, then Jonathan and David made a covenant because Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Jonathan didn't even know David. Jonathan had nothing to do with David. Yet still, the moment he saw him, if you go to the verse here, if you go to verse 2, the Bible says, uh, or rather verse 1, the Bible says, uh, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. You meet somebody and automatically, the moment you meet them, your soul is knit to the other person. And, and, and we're going to go through a lot of these things uh, in, in a, in just in a moment. But one thing that I find so peculiar about this is that ordinarily, Jonathan is not supposed to take in David as a brother or yet let alone a covenant brother. Take this in. And the Bible says that he knit together his soul with him. Because of their diverse backgrounds, it's actually not common for royalty to be with a shepherd boy. Think about that. David's a shepherd boy, Pastor John. Jonathan is the prince. So ordinarily, princes are not supposed to be with people who are in the fields. Yet still somehow, some way, the soul of Jonathan was so moved that his soul was knit together with the soul of David. And if we read this, I want to just go over a few things uh, about this. The crazy thing is that Jonathan still had a natural ambition as a man and as a son of the king. He still had this ambition to rule and, and dominate. Yet one thing that he did is amazing. He suppressed his natural feelings for a spiritual assignment. He suppressed his natural feelings. Don't forget what we spoke about, that when God created man, the first thing was for man to rule and dominate. Now, the one thing you have to understand is how am I supposed to rule and how am I supposed to dominate? Because not everybody is called to rule the way you think ruling should look like. I believe that you're called to rule and dominate the space that God has given you. Now, the space that God has given you may not be the first place, but maybe a space, let alone. Now, I know a lot of people don't like this stuff. Why? Because everybody wants to be number one. But if you're number one and everybody's number one, who's number two? Who's number three? Who's number four? So we then run into difficulties in our generation, but I'm getting ahead of myself. All right. So there's a few things that I want us to know about this. David was a student of the fields. Jonathan was a student of the palace. 
David was neglected, Jonathan was accepted. David wasn't rich, Jonathan was wealthy. In spite of all these, Jonathan sees the word hanging over David's life and recognizes the gift of God inside of him. Despite the fact that he holds a position to rule, to have dominion, he still sees that there is something that's hanging upon the life of David. There's something peculiar about this boy that, that I'm moved to knit my heart to him. What does Jonathan do when he sees this? First thing, if you're taking notes, number one is that Jonathan makes a covenant. Jonathan makes a covenant with David, number one. Number two, he strips himself of his priestly robes. Now, take this in. He strips himself of his priestly robes. So you're talking about his robe. You're talking about all the gold that's on him. He takes that off and he puts that on David. Do you know what that means? That literally means that although I'm a prince, I'm going to take off what makes me a prince, which is my regalia, and I'm going to put that regalia on you. That shows the humility in a man who has the ability to rule and to dominate. Verse three, uh, the, the third one is that he also gave him his armor, gave him his sword, gave him his bow, gave him his belt. There's a lot of giving here. There's a lot of giving here. Have you ever read this scripture and thought that David actually never gave anything to Jonathan? But Jonathan gave everything to David. Somebody who wasn't even worthy of sitting at the table with the king. Yet the son, the prince, would give everything that he has to a boy that was a shepherd boy. Why? Because he was moved in his spirit. What moves you? What are things that you haven't done? What are, who are people you haven't connected with that God has told you to connect with? Because you've, you've suppressed the moving in your spirit. The last one is that the covenant between Jonathan and David was so deep that when Saul and Jonathan were dead, David also looked for Jonathan's relative, Mephibosheth. Second Samuel says it. It says, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? The covenant ran so deep that it outlived the life of Jonathan. It outlived the life of Saul. That when David was made king, he said, is there anybody from the house of Saul that I can be kind to because of Jonathan? Because of my covenant with Jonathan, I'm looking for somebody that I can be kind to from that house. I came to quickly note that Jonathan was sent in the life of David as a helper. I pray that God would release divine helpers into your life. No, no, I really do that. I, really, I pray that God will release divine helpers. If you're watching online, wherever you're watching from, even if you're under the sound of my voice, I pray, it's my prayer, God will release divine helpers into your life. People who are not, they're not jealous of what you carry, but people who understand the assignment of God upon your life and that can say, even though I'm in a better position than you are, I'm going to take off my priestly robes and I'm going to put it on you. Even if it means that people won't recognize me because it's my robes that people recognize and they say that I'm the prince and the son of the king. But if it means that I put those robes and those priestly tunics on you because I believe in the gift of you, where are those types of people these days? People that would take off the gift of God, take off the positioning and say, hey, even though I have this position, I think you'll be better suited for it. You see, that's our issue. Number one, we're too selfish. Too selfish. We're taking notes. Oh, clap onto God if you'd like. There are four main issues with our generation. I'm going to get into it. 
This is the type of message we call, I call it Generations Night. This is the type of message that we play and play and years and years to come, uh, we begin to also listen to. Four issues, four main issues with our generation in relation to platonic covenant relationships, friendships, okay? First thing is that we are selfish as a generation. When God brings people, we only leverage the relationship for personal gain. We only leverage it. So the relationship becomes, what can you do for me? If I'm talking to you, it's what can you do for me? Yes, I'm your friend, but what's in it for me? What can you do for me? You see, you see God can't work with a heart like that. Because selfishness literally cancels out anything that has to do with giving. And so that's why we're doing a case study on the life of Jonathan. Because Jonathan was a man that said, although I have all of these things and I'm placed in a great position, I'm taking these things off and I'm putting it on you. I'm giving to you. I'm giving to you. Number two, one thing that is really plaguing our generation is competition. When God brings people, although we're meant, or they're meant to be our helpers and we're meant to help them, instead of helping them, we're competing with them. So we have selfishness, we have competitions, and the reason why I'm going over this is because if you don't know the God of the age, then you don't know how to pray against the God of the age. If you don't know the situations that are plaguing this generation, then you can't pray against them to have success. But I see that there are successful people in this building. Oh, if you're a successful person, come on, shout in this place. Oh, no, you can do better than that if you're a successful person. like Because... David later on went on to become the king and Jonathan did great things. So that means that we can learn from this covenant relationships because what's happening now is that there's a lot of plastic relationships. You say you're my friend, but you don't have my back. No, you don't. Why? Because underlining, you're looking for selfishness. Number one, what's in it for me? So I come around you because of what I can gain by being with you. What accolades can I associate? How can I fans you to a point that if I'm around you, I can be seen? So it's not even about how can I push you to your next level. It's about how can I ride along so that I can be seen in the position. You see, there's a difference between taking opportunities and walking through them and being an opportunist. Two different things. When you're an opportunist, you look for any little thing you can do to be able to hop on, even if it means putting, bringing people down so that you can step into the door. But when you take advantage of opportunities or you walk through opportunities, the difference between the two is your heart posture. Those who walk through the door of opportunity are grateful. So that's why when David beat Goliath and Saul said, come to my house, David said, who am I? I'm unworthy to even marry your daughter. I'm unworthy to even come into your palace. There was a spirit of humility that came with him walking through the door. Opportunists would say, I killed Goliath. I deserve to be there. People who walk through the doors of opportunity would say, I killed Goliath, but hey, I don't need anything from you. This is just what I was moved to do because I know in down in me, I'm called to rule and. So we come back to this. And the third thing that the Lord is really ministering to me is many of our relationships and friendships, specifically platonic relationships, covenant relationships, have so much betrayal in them that it then plagues you that you feel as though you can't trust anybody anymore. Because a lot of people in this place, in this building, have undergone so much disappointment in friendships. 
I trusted somebody. They let me down. I gave to them. They didn't give back to me. I gave and gave and gave. I thought they were going to give it back to me, and they never did. I'm disappointed because you betrayed me. You said that you would keep this between the two of us. Why is party C, D, E, F, and Z know about it? Don't you know how to keep something to yourself? How? So how can I trust you if I've trusted five other people and they've all let me down? This is the only time that we see in the Bible that Jonathan says his soul was knit. You know what it means to have your soul knit? It means that even if the person disappoints you, doesn't, doesn't do anything for you, because I don't think at any point in time that David give back to Jonathan unless, or, or, at the moment, or he didn't ever give back to Jonathan until after Jonathan had died. And then he said, can I repay back Jonathan? I'm looking for somebody in the house of Saul that I can repay. This is when Saul was dead. He said, I can repay. So he looked for Mephibosheth and said, I know that you're a leopard. You can't walk, but I'm going to carry you. You're going to dine with me. You're always going to have food to eat. Don't worry about it. Why? Because of the covenant I had with your grandfather, with your father. The covenant I had with you. So Jonathan gave and gave and gave and gave and gave. And because his soul is knitted, he had an opportunity to be like, man, David, I gave you my priestly tunic. You married into my family. You did so many different things. Not once... Did you ever give back to me? His attitude wasn't, I've given to you and you haven't given back to me. See, that's the selfishness in our generation. What happened to loving your neighbor as yourself? What happened to giving, 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 and God will repay you the way he wants to repay you? So, Jonathan never asked for anything back. All he asked for was the friendship. In fact, if you go down to uh, 1 Samuel 23, verse 17, the Bible says, And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. When David was growing, growing weary and he was being sought after by Saul to be killed, instead of Jonathan siding with the father, Jonathan said, I'm going to look for David and I'm going to help him and strengthen him in the Lord. Right there. Yeah, right there, verse uh, 23, verses 17. And he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee, and thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee. I like this one right here uh, in, in my version. It says, he said, My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel. Let's take that in. He's next in line to be king. And listen, take that in. He's next in line to be king. And he's saying, even though I am biologically next in line to be king, I recognize the gift of God in you. Oh, I'm preaching way better than you're clapping in this place. He said, I recognize the gift of God in you. I know that I'm, a, I'm in a position uh, to do things in ministry, but I recognize you have a grace for it that I don't have. You have a grace for it I don't have. You have an anointing for it that I haven't paid the price to have yet. You sought God in a different way. You were in the fields playing onto God. I wasn't playing onto God in the fields. I was in the palace already. You paid a price. And so because you paid a price, there's a level of anointing that's upon you and around you. That everywhere you go, we can't deny the anointing that's upon you. So although I'm next in line biologically, I know 
that you will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. My dad knows that you're going to be king. My dad knows that even though he gave birth to me, I don't have what it takes to be there. And listen, I'm comfortable in number two. There was an anointing that comes upon being number two. Do you know there's an anointing upon serving another man's ministry? Do you know there's anointing upon being number two and holding the oil for somebody? Do you know that there was an anointing upon just being behind the scenes? You gain oil! Too many of us are looking and we're fighting to be number one position because we want to be seen and it's all about us and I have to succeed. But what if you're not called there? What if you're called to push the one who is going to be number one? Not everybody is a David. We need Jonathan's. Not everybody is a Moses. We need Joshua's. Not everybody is Elijah's. We need Elisha's. Not everybody's Paul. We need Timothy's. Nobody preaches about the Timothys. Nobody preaches about the Elishas. Nobody preaches uh, about the number twos. No, they don't preach about the Jonathans. They preach about David, the warrior. But what about Jonathan, the one that strengthened David? Without Jonathan, David wouldn't be who he was. It's so interesting because the last week I spoke about Michal. Now she created a, you know, a, a, a fake thing and she put it in the bed so that David could escape. Please be seated in the nighttime. And it's incredible that from Saul's family, his daughter and his son all sided with David. Because they saw the gift of God in him. The Bible says, and when Michal saw David, immediately she was fell in love with him. And the Bible says, when Jonathan saw David, immediately his heart was knit. You see, we don't need fake friendships anymore. I don't know about you. What we define friends nowadays is not real friends. You know what real friends do? Real friends tell you when you're messing up. No, no, you guys are not here tonight. No, 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 y'all aren't here. Y'all not here tonight. Real friends will tell you when you don't have it all together. Real friends. Real friends will sit you down and rebuke you. We've just become so hypersensitive in this generation that every little thing we say, I'm offended. Why are you offended? Why are you offended? The reason why I'm saying this is because I see the greatness that you don't see. I see the oil that you don't see. When I stand here, I can't see my reflection in the mirror, but you see me. So if there's something on my face, I can't see it, but you see it in me. Sometimes the anointing on our lives, you can't see ourselves. We can't see the anointing upon us. So sometimes it takes people telling us you're anointed. So because you're anointed, we have to guard the anointing. And the way we guard the anointing is making sure that jealousy is making sure that purity is making sure that you're you're genuine is making sure that you don't fail you don't trip you don't fail you don't falter so what does that take it takes me sitting down and rebuking you correcting you in love all we know of this relationship is all we see the good parts but I'm sure there were some times in the relationship if your soul is knit together it means that there will be some tough times where David doesn't want to hear the good news or the bad news. But Jonathan has to sit him down and tell him, hey, David, when I met you, my soul 
was cling to you. You know, that's why if you go later down in the scripture, you'll begin to see that they also reaffirmed their covenant one more time. They, 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 they covenanted to be together one more time. This is not two biological brothers. So you don't have to be family with somebody to have this level of commitment and connection with somebody. Sometimes it's even people who we're not family with that God will call us to be covenant partners with. Sometimes, not all the time, sometimes covenant even outweighs family. Because you have a biological DNA, then you have a spiritual DNA. You have a spiritual DNA. So it's important to note, it's important to note this, that we need relationships that will last, that will stand strong, stand the test of time. They won't fail or falter. And the only way that happens is when people are real with one another. My God. This will only happen when you're real. Too many of us, sometimes we have to, we, not fake, but we have to be so cautious. That's the word. We have to be cautious. We have to tiptoe and walk on eggshells to tell you something. We have to find a hundred ways to tell you one thing. Because if we tell it to you straight, you'll think that we're jealous of you. But we're not jealous of you. We just want the best for you. We just want the best for you. So Jonathan said, do not be afraid. And he went to David at Horish and they helped him find strength. Jesus. How do you help somebody find strength? You know what a good friend does? Pastor David, come here. You've been my preaching buddy all month. It was his birthday yesterday or two days ago. Happy birthday, sir. We love you. You know how you help somebody find strength in the Lord? You remind them. Of how the Lord has used them. That's what you do. So I can imagine David there and he's sad. And he's like, Saul's about to kill me. And I can imagine Jonathan coming to David. In the fact that Jonathan came to David at Horish, it already means something. It already means that he, 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 he took himself as David. His heart was knitted. So although he was at the, the feast and he was with his father and he was dining with him because it was a festival season, his mind and his soul, half of it, was in the fields where David was. She said the moment he had a chance, he ran to him and he said, don't worry, we're going to find strength in the Lord. And he began to remind him, you remember that time where you guys came back and you killed the giant? And then David would say, yes, I remember that time. He said, you're still the man. And he would say, you remember that time where when you came back from war, you know, my dad only killed, killed like, you know, hundred thousands, tens of thousands, but then you did way more than he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're still the man. And you remember that time where you thought you wouldn't make it, but then God was faithful to you? Yes, you're still the man. And you thought that you wouldn't make it at nighttime and you cried through the night, but I want to tell you the joy is coming in the morning. You're still the man. Can I prophesy to you? You're still the woman. You're still the man. You're still anointed. You're still appointed. How do you find strength? Find somebody who can speak strength to you. Many of us don't have friends who can come to us as Jonathan came to David and begin to tell him things like, you're still the man. Why? Because I don't want to utter from my lips that you're still the man because I want to be the man. So why would I tell you you're the man when deep in my heart I want to be the man? So everything I'm telling you, you're still the man. Lip service. 
you can still do it. Lip service. You're still, you, know, you know the proof of you genuinely having affection for, towards somebody? Just stand right there. I, I'm, I'm done. They're not insecure about your gift. Why? Because David has a lane. Jonathan has a lane. In as much as David was graced to be king over Israel, it did never change the fact that Jonathan was still biologically Saul's son. David can't buy himself biologically. Even marriage won't do it to have the same blood. But Jonathan had royal blood running through his veins. Jonathan had royal blood. David was a shepherd boy. Yet still David was anointed. So Jonathan realized at an early onset, somebody that should have fought David. Think about it. He should have battled David. Like, why are you trying to take my spot? You're trying to take my shine. You're trying to do this. You're trying to do that. He said, listen, I won't even fight you because from the moment I saw you, my soul was knit to your soul. So instead of me fighting you, I want to I find a way that I can bless you. So why don't, I'm just going to take off this robe. And I'm going to put this robe on you. And I'm going to put this ring on you. And, and I'm going to give you my armor. And I, I'll be stripped. I'll be stripped naked. I, this, I just want to show you how much I know and believe in your gift. That I don't have to be seen. I just want to be number two in pushing you behind because I know and my dad knows you're going to be king of Israel and I will be number two pushing you the whole way. So we have to understand this. I, I didn't give you the last one. Oh, thank you so much, Pastor David. Number four, misplaced feelings. Misplaced feelings. We don't communicate properly and so because of a failure of communication, there's misplaced feelings. You don't know how to act. He doesn't know how to act. She doesn't know how to act. The other person doesn't know how to act because you guys haven't taken time to sit down and get on the same page. So there is suspicion. I heard. He said. She said. I heard that this person said this about me. I heard that that person said this about you. But if you don't go to the source and sit down and say, hey, you know, I love you. God bless you. But I've been hearing this, 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 and this. I just want to know. Is it true if it's not true, it, you know, because I just want to find out a way that I could be able to love you like Christ. Every opportunity that there is an offense is a greater opportunity for you to prove that you are a better Christian. All right? How to identify. <laughs> every opportunity. <laughs> every opportunity for them in the back right now. Come on. Every opportunity. <laughs> Every opportunity that rises up that is an offense is a greater opportunity for you to prove that you are a better Christian. Yeah. Because, you know why? Because the Bible promises us of offenses. So if the Bible promises us that there will be offense, it's a promise. So because it's a promise, what it means is that you have to be able to position yourself in such a way that you're expecting that promise. And if that promise is the promise of offense, that means that when situations happen, you can position yourself to be like, you know what? You hurt me, but it's all good. I forgive you. I love you like Christ loved the church. I, I love you like I love my own soul. I love you like my neighbor. I love you like my sister. I love you like my brother. You know what? You offended me, but it's all good. We're going to look it over. Why? Because Christ told me to love you. He told me to love my enemies. So you know what? Even though you have offended me, it's all good. We forget about it. In fact, here's five bucks. Take it for, for Tim Hortons this week. I give to you. It's okay. It's okay. You're good. You're good. 
and you move like that. And what does that do? That shows that you've matured in your Christianity to the point whereby you don't operate with unforgiveness in your heart. Because the Bible does say you can go to hell for unforgiveness. So it's not good because unforgiveness is like you looking at the person who you have to forgive and you're drinking poison expecting that person to die. How? The person's enjoying their life. You two, you're drinking poison. Upset. Look at this person. I hate them. Look at this person. But you don't realize that you're dying on the inside and they're living their life. How to identify real homies. You see, homies are people that is deeper than a friendship. A homies, they're different. They're deeper than friendships because, you see, homies are people that you have a covenant relationship with that you can literally depend on them in your worst situations, lean on them in vulnerable seasons. You can, you can expect them not to air out your business. Friends, I found this on the internet. I like it so much right before we go. Friends know some of your embarrassing moments. Homies are next to you while making them. Friends, you have to tell them not to tell nobody. Homies, they already know not to tell. Uh, friends are only through high school. Homies are for life. For life. You see... How to identify real homies. Let me give you six points real quick. Number one, they're not insecure about your gifting. Number two, they celebrate your successes. You know the easiest way to find out if somebody doesn't like you? Just look at them when good news comes to you and you tell them. If they're not rejoicing with you and trying to plan the celebration party, uh, just know. I got you. Just know. Because if they don't celebrate your successes, they don't celebrate your achievements, then why the heck are you in my life? You really just want a front row seat so that you can see all that God is doing on my life and the jealousy can fester in your heart? I don't have time for jealous friends around me when God has an anointing. Why? Why bother myself with jealous people Listen, if you are jealous of me, you don't like what God is doing through me, this is the exit door. Leave because there are people that are genuinely happy for my level of success. Good Lord. Number three, they acknowledge your strengths. They know when it's their moment, like Jonathan, for you to shine and for them to take the back seat. They know uh, when it comes to this, this person got it. This person got it. Number four. Homies, they look for opportunities for you to shine. They send you job opportunities. They send you breakthrough opportunities. Hey, man, like I saw that this person, you know, I, 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 don't know, I know that um, Nick wouldn't mind me sharing this. You know, our pastor Kizito, is he here somewhere? I know he's here somewhere, somewhere around here. Our pastor Kizito, he's here. Oh, he's in the back? Okay, awesome. Our pastor, Kizito, I went for a job interview and he got the job. And he had no idea that our, our brother, Nick, actually knows the owner of the business. And so once Pastor Kizito came back and he was telling us all the testimonies and he began to tell uh, Nick, uh, Nick started questioning. He said, wait, is it this company? Or that company. He said, it's this company. Nick said, I know the owner of the company. You know what Nick did? He said that this is a great opportunity for you to shine. 
So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call the CEO. That's my buddy. And I'm going to tell him, you just hired one of my guys that I work with in ministry. Make sure you treat him well. Keep him there and raise him through the ranks. The guy said, okay, no problem. As long as you know Nick, you're good here. You're safe here. You see, that's when people take opportunities in and they say, this is an opportunity for you to shine. So I'm going to take the back seat and I'm going to connect it in such a way that you can shine in every endeavor. In every endeavor. You know, when I was in high school, I had a friend. He passed away now. He was my best friend. We were best friends since the sixth grade. And we were in high school. We were in the 11th grade. And we ran for a vice president of our students' council. And, you know, it got to a point in the election that he said, yo, Ruel, honestly, there's this group of people that I know they probably won't take my votes or they probably won't vote for us because of me in it. So I need you to go and talk to them and smoothen them over because I know that you'll probably say something that could woo them over and I just don't have it in me. So I said, no problem. And this is, you're talking about somebody who's a smooth talker, somebody who's a straight A student, somebody that everybody likes, but he said, there's still this select group of people that I can't reach, that I need you to reach. And in that moment, that's when I realized this guy was a true friend. Because any ordinary people would say, I have what it takes to shine that I don't even need you. We don't even have to run as two. We can, I can run by myself. But he said, although I have what it takes to win, I think that by bringing you on board, Ruel, that we'll be able to actually blow this thing out of the water. He said, it's an opportunity for us to shine. You see, homies don't talk about me. They talk about Their language is not me, mine. It's us. It's, hey, I, 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 my, my dad just gave me something. You know what? I'm so excited that we have this. Not that I have this. You know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it's very easy to know what's in the heart of man by listening to them. Many of us, we have to stop talking and start listening. Because the moment we listen, you'll be able to tell who's really there for you for the long haul. Because there's people who are with you for a season, a reason, and a lifetime. There's some people who are only attached to you because of the of one reason. They want what you have. I call them vultures. They want what you have. There's people that are with you for a season. They're only there for you from a start date and an end date. You know it, they know it, and so you just handle things accordingly. You can start here, you can end there. You don't tell them too much because they're not going to be here for a long time. But people who are there for the lifetime, they act in a way that is different. They cover your nakedness. They, 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 they don't expose you, they cover you. Why? Because when you succeed, they succeed. When you win, they win. When you fail, they fail. So they realize this, that it's not about me. It's about us. All right. Number five. Homies protect you. It goes along with it. They protect you. And the last one, let's be on our feet. Homies open doors for you. They open doors for you. A real homie will open up a door to say, I have an opportunity uh, that I heard. There's an opportunity that I heard um, for X, Y, and Z. And although um, I'm in a position to get it, I feel as though you'll be better for it. So I'm going to connect you so that that door can be open for you. Homies open doors for you. Uh, what I want you to do in this next week before we gather next, uh, this next week coming, before we gather next Thursday, is to sit down and do a thorough audit of your friends thorough audit of your friends and even if I could you know push this a step further what I would say is write down your five closest friends and if none of them are better than you it's not your right friend group at least three of them should be better than you we don't like to hear that 
we want to be the best in our friends group. We want to be the best. We want to be number one. The world is looking for number twos, number threes, number fours, number fives. Do a thorough audit. Write down your five closest friends. And if three out of the five don't push you, challenge you, are richer than you, have more vision than you, are more creative than you, are more passionate about you or than you, then you're not actually growing. The only way to grow, there's so many ways to grow, but one way to grow is by your network and the people that you have around you. And when the people that you have around you are able to challenge you, that means that you're always growing because they're always raising the bar. So if they raise the bar, then I have to raise the bar. But if you're the best in the group of the five, it means that they're actually bringing you down. You're not getting better, you're getting worse. So it, it's, it's completely essential. You will have to be able to sit down and say, I'm going to do a thorough audit of my, friend's, of my friend circle, my friend group, and I'm going to make sure that if I don't have at least three out of the five that are homies, people that I can trust, and the people that push me towards my purpose, I have to reevaluate who I open doors to and who I allow access to me. Right before I go, I could preach on this all day, but there are individuals that some of us in this room have allowed access into our closest chamber that have one thing. They just want to see you fail. So it's imperative to pray and have discernings of discerning of spirits to be able to know who God is bringing to you and has called to you for a lifetime and who God has called to you for a season and a reason and put each of them in their respected categories so that you don't trip up because the only way that the devil can win is either he slows you down or he speeds you up. And many times if you don't place these friends in the right group, they either speed you up or slow you down. Either way, you can crash on the highway. So I want you to thoroughly do that. Let's pray for our friends right now. Just take a quick minute. Pray for your friends. Pray for those closest to you. Pray that God will send you a helper like Jonathan. My God. Pray that he will send you Jonathans. He will send you Jonathans. Like, in fact, why don't you hold hands with the person beside you? Just hold hands with the second. Just face each other. And just pray that, man, God would just open up. If there's not two, you can do threes. But just pray that God would honestly send you Jonathans. He will send you Jonathans. He will send you Jonathans. Yes, Lord. Come on, pray for Jonathan's, 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 pray for Jonathan's. 
by your spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat. God, daughter, come on, begin to pray. Resurrected King. Rima Mansoria Rarabacatso. Libra Gatseria Rarabatsa. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Now, real quick, right before I go, I just heard this really quickly. If you know you have to forgive somebody, just come to this altar. You know you're holding unforgiveness in your heart. Right before I go, you're holding unforgiveness in your heart, specifically if it's for somebody who's really, like they've backstabbed you so hard. Every time you think about them, you get upset. Come on, it's a bold step to even walk and acknowledge this. Come on. Wow, clap for those coming. Clap for those coming. Wow. I applaud you. Right before we go, I just heard this. I was going to close the service, but I just heard this. I just heard this so quickly. I just heard this so quickly. Wow. 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 This is heavy. This is a heavy thing here tonight. Yeah. This is heavy. This is heavy. Jesus. My dad has always taught me that when it comes to unforgiveness, it's a decision that you make in your heart and your spirit. And you note it down as a date. Today's date is the 27th of February. You have to release them. Reason being, not only because you can go to hell for it, no, but also because you're not actually living. And what it does is that it hinders you from opening up and trusting any person else. Like you can't trust anybody else. Specifically, when it comes to the opposite sex. Like if you had a boyfriend or a girlfriend who backstabbed you, who cheated on you, who maligned you, who lied, about, like just lied about you. If you don't deal with that, what happens is that any person, even the perfect will of God comes. And because you are so hurt, you can't even open up the door for the perfect will. Right now in this moment, can I have some, some of my leaders, I want you to come and help these individuals tonight. Forgive. I want you to help them forgive. Walk them through forgiveness right now. Some of my leaders, hurry up and come. Hurry up and come. Hurry up and come. Get to this altar now. Hurry up and come. Choose one person now. Walk them through forgiveness. Walk them through it. Let them release it. Let them release. I have one person here. I have another person here. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to our podcast. We hope that God blessed you through this word, and we hope that you can be a partner, subscribe, and share with your friends. We can't wait to see you next time. God bless you.